We are um, in our series of, of looking at fees and occupants. And if you weren't here last week, I just encourage you to just get on podcast and listen to Phil's message um, around thieves. Basically, he took a, what should have been a four-week series and crammed it into one. And I'm glad he had that week and not me. So I wouldn't have been able to have done it. It was fantastic. And just, you know, from what could be perceived as quite a negative subject, he actually just brought something of God into it. It was great. But on that last week, he just dealt with some of the things that we don't want in the church. They're called thieves. But over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at occupants. And of course, next week, we've got Team Challenge, and we're going to release them to do what they do so well. But over the next few weeks, we've just been looking at occupants. Another word we could look at is behaviors, things that we do want in the church. And what I would like to do is just read something to you. It's going to come up on the screen. And uh, one of our young guys wrote this. I asked him to just work, work with me on just writing something. And he just really articulate, in a brilliant articulated way, um, just shares what we believe and what we, what we think around the arena behaviors and the word behavior. So let's go to it. It says here, our behaviors aren't to make you fall in line or fit in. They don't refer to the clothes or the music you listen to. Our goal isn't to get you to behave, but it's to help you to follow Jesus. The reality is arena is full of imperfect people, people who were broken, people who were lost, people who were hurt, but through relationship with Jesus have been radically changed. Our behaviors create a platform for arena to flourish. They create freedom and protection for our community. In your house, you have certain behaviors so that the house can function. These may be like things like everyone helps tidy the table or no shoes inside. Different houses have different behaviors to protect and promote the house. Our house arena is no different. We have certain behaviors that we expect our community to agree to so that our house can flourish. If you'd like a copy of that, we can, we're going to make it available in a book. But that's what we talk about when we talk about behaviors. Please don't get, oh, they want me to behave. Because that's how people think, don't they, in the church. I've got to dress a particular way. Well, if that was the case, I wouldn't be on the stage. Because I've got jeans on, and I haven't got a dog collar, and I haven't got a shoe, shirt and, you know, suit and tie. I wouldn't be allowed. We're not, it's not about that. I actually like different kinds of music. My girls were amazed that I was talking about some rapping artist. They said, no way, Dad, don't do that again. Are my girls here? Where are my girls? Yeah, they're just there. And they said, Dad, Eleanor's now got her head in her hands like this. But she said, Dad, don't do that. I'll go and get down with the kids. Get down. And she hated it. I really embarrassed her. She said, Dad, don't do that. So I've just done it. So there we are. It's not about the music you listen to, not all that clothes you wear. It's about a platform. It just articulates it so well. And so when we're talking about behaviors, there are certain behaviors that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. They're just going to be so helpful. And it's my joy to be able to talk about discipleship. It's going to be impossible to be able to talk about discipleship within 20-odd minutes. First of all, it's a lifetime. But there's so much teaching out there, great teaching out there, and there's so many books out there that are so helpful. But it's my joy just over these next few minutes just to share something around that. And let me tell you, discipleship for some people in their minds means, again, to do with how we look. So you're a disciple, you wear sandals. And you wear robes. That's not discipleship. Discipleship 
For some people, is you're perfect. Nobody's perfect. Only one was perfect to ever walk the earth. His name is Jesus. So it's not about those things. So what is discipleship? What is the word discipleship? We bound it around in church. But for those who are new today, you might not have really understood it clearly. And you, 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 you've always wondered. Well, basically, discipleship, the root word of it is a learner. It's a learner. It's somebody who's committed to learning, to being taught and to learn. It means, for me, a disciple is to be fully present and a devoted follower of Jesus. See, disciples aren't spectators. Disciples aren't consumers. And disciples aren't just attenders. We're glad that you attend this church, but that's not discipleship. Discipleship is where we lean in to learn, for us to be fashioned, for us to be changed. I'm not talking about a school, school kind of thing, because that fills me with dread. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The fact ever thinking that I'd have to go back to school, I'd hate that. Anybody with me? Some of you love, anybody with, it would fill me with dread. Sorry, you school teachers here. I would have been your worst nightmare. Okay, I just didn't do school that well. So the thought of just it's going to be about books and that's how you're going to learn, it's not about that. It's about leaning into God. And as we, and I'll talk about that, and as we do that, God begins to fashion us and change us and shape us. And that happens not just through God, but it also happens through other people as well. So that's what we're talking about today. But before we launch into it, I just want to go to a verse of Scripture, if I may. It's found in Acts chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, please turn with me. Just two or three verses that I want to read. That just really sets the tone. Because I have a bit of an issue, and I want you to help me with this issue this morning. I have an issue when I look across the church, and sometimes as I've looked across my life, particularly early on in my Christian walk, and I'll talk about what the issue is. But in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, it'll be on the screens, Peter is... On a great day, it's called the day of Pentecost. Jesus had now gone back to the Father, left the disciples, about 120 of them. So it wasn't a huge crowd. And they didn't know what was happening really. But the Spirit of God had been poured out upon them. They were speaking in these strange languages and the whole city of Jerusalem was talking about it. And Peter had gathered this crowd, or should I say God, and what had happened had gathered this crowd, numbering thousands Peter begins, because Peter was the one who normally just stood, stepped into it, and Peter begins to talk about what's been happening over this three and a half year period, and particularly the last 50 days where Jesus was hung upon a cross. And then, could you imagine it, of that day, put yourself in that world, everybody would have been talking about what had been happening, the events. Because rumor was being spread that this Jesus who did miracles was hung upon a cross. They put him in a tomb and now the tomb is empty. It wasn't just the disciples. People were talking about it. People were just mindful of it. It was still around there. It had been been an an interesting time. Darkness had come over the land. What was all that about? People were breaking out of tombs. What was all that about? There's lots of things that were happening around that area. And Peter begins to speak and begins to declare the gospel. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. It's just summing it, it's just drawing it to a close. And it says this, therefore let all Israel be sure of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, listen to me, both Lord and Messiah. 
When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We see that Peter, in a few sentences, articulated what needed to happen for a true change to happen. There needed to be an embracing of Jesus both as Messiah and as Lord. But here's my dilemma. I see a lot of people embrace Jesus as Messiah, as Savior, but not as Lord. Let me unpack that just for a few moments. Because let me tell you, the most amazing thing happened when Jesus came into the world. Jesus hung upon the cross for yours and my sins. Every one of us were far off. Every one of us were living our own lives. Every one of us were doing our own thing. Every one of us really didn't give God a thought, even if we was in a religious home. We had no real understanding of God. We just wanted to please ourselves. And many of you weren't from religious homes that are here. You were certainly doing your own things. You were big sinners. We'd probably be classed, I'd probably be classed as a little sinner. Some of you were big sinners. But the Bible says we're all sinners. It doesn't grade it. You understand my language. But some of you have done some really terrible things here. But Jesus came into the world, and when he hung upon a cross, he wasn't just thinking about those who were okay or good. He was thinking about everyone. Even those people who've done really, really bad things. Jesus was thinking about you. He really was. As he hung there, the pain that he endured, all because of love, all because of grace, all because of mercy, because he knew there was no other way to reconcile man back to God. They tried everything else. They tried the sacrifice of animals, and that hadn't worked. People had tried to live by rules and regulations, and it hadn't worked. There was only one way. It was through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If you've never received Jesus as that, if you've never come before Jesus and confessed your sins and said, God, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, then I'm going to give you at the end of this morning an invitation to do just that and for you to receive the love of God. But Peter declares that this Jesus is both Messiah, Savior, and Lord. But there's the dilemma. The dilemma is this. Many people camp just there. You know Jesus is your savior. You've got your ticket. One of my favorite um, uh, books was um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Anybody ever read that book? I love that book. And, uh, of course, the winning ticket. They all got the golden ticket. And it's like that with, with some people and they come to Jesus you see they come in and they're, they're wrecked. And they come to Jesus. But what's sad, I think, for God and sad for other people at times looking on him, I guess we've all lived there, is we just camp there. We know we're saved. We know we have the ticket that if anything was to happen to us, we're going to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. And that's it. And people then just get on with living their lives, doing their things. Not bad things, but just living their lives. But notice Peter's language. This Jesus wasn't just Messiah, Savior, but he was also what? Lord. 
He was Lord. Ha ha. He was Lord. So what does Lord mean? Well, in the natural, it means they're the master. It means they're the king. It means they're the government over our lives. That puts a completely different slant on it. So I embrace Jesus as Savior, and I know that I'm forgiven, but now there is a responsibility upon me to live according to the Lord's requirements. Aha! And that's why, I guess, the world looks on and sees these so-called Christians who are saved, but they're not living under the lordship of Jesus because how do they know that? Because they do everything that we do. Have you heard me? They do everything that we do. So where's the change? Where's the ch- This is true discipleship. Jesus came not just to save us, but Jesus came to be Lord of our lives. He wants to take residence in our hearts. He wants to change us and shape us. He wants us to become more like him. A discipleship journey recognizes the need to live in submission out of love for Jesus. In fact, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 14 and verse 27. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What he's basically saying is you come under the submission of me. People say in the world today, I'm submitted to nobody. I'm my own. I make, I make the decisions. I'm the boss of my life. That's that Sinatra. I think it's sad when people, I'm sorry if you've had relatives who've done that. I'm not being unkind. But when they have, the, the, Phil and I have talked about it, where they have the Frank Sinatra song at their funeral, I did it my way. It's not about doing it my way as Christian believers. Are you hearing me? It's about doing it his way. What does he say? What does he say? And then that becomes my way. Not what I say and that becomes my way. It's about lordship. His lordship sitting over our lives. And I'm not talking about rules and regulations. Rules and regulations will get you nowhere. You heard that in our behaviors. If I say to you... Some of you got children here. Give me a wave if you've had, if you've had children. If you say to the, the, to the children, guys, we're running by the river, the little ones, do not go near that river. What are they going to do? Guys, do not touch that food in that fridge that is for later. What are they going to do? And that's not just the husbands, okay? It's the kids as well. They just go towards it. We're not talking about rules and regulations because that won't keep us. We're not talking about something that's sterile and loveless. We're not talking about something that's condemning and oppressive and robotic or religious. But we're talking about discipleship as being something that's beautiful and liberating and powerful. Discipleship is all those things. It's a wonderful thing to know that you're doing things how God wants you to live. There's a freedom, there's a joy, and there's a liberty that comes. When we do it God's way. You see, I believe that committed disciples make great leaders. At the moment, we have, we, we, we've got a, 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 an absolute dirge of leadership. Books. But at the moment, I get a little bit concerned. And I love reading. I love read, reading leadership books. But I want to tell you, I think that what there needs to be is more of a discipleship revolution, that, more, more than a leadership revolution. Because here the phrase again, committed disciples make great leaders. It isn't always the case that those who have great leadership are going to be great disciples. 
Because again, I see some Christian leaders, and I look at their lives, and I would hope that that wouldn't be the case with me, because I would hope that you'd see something different. But I see their lives and observe their lives, how they talk to their wives, sharply. I know we all have moments, and our wives have moments with our husbands, but it's a pattern. Harshness, unkindness, those things bother me. Because the discipleship journey needs to stir and get in our hearts. Because he's Lord. You see, we're called to be a disciple. And we're also called to make disciples. Let's read together from Matthew chapter 28, if we can, and verse 19 to 20. It says there, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. See the learner? See the change? Teaching them to to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Listen, this message is not meant to be condemnatory or oppressive. It's not at all. All I think God wants to say to us here at Arena is we're committed to a behavior. We're committed to a value of discipleship. That means that God is not just Savior, but he's also Lord of our lives. And what we then do is we then take that discipleship and we are committed then to going and making disciples and then helping others how to live this discipleship life. Let me tell you, discipleship is not. is not five things. Number one, is not automatic. It needs to be intentional. Discipleship is not mystical. It's to be practical. Discipleship is not instant, but it involves a process. Anybody in the process this morning? Oh, I'm in the process this morning. Discipleship is not just knowing, but it's demonstrating. Discipleship is not private, but it's relational. It's relational. Pope Francis, what a wonderful Pope he is. If you want to shoot me, you can take me outside. Don't shoot me here because you'll spill blood on the carpets. But I I think he's a wonderful pope, wonderful man of God. Pope Francis described discipleship like this. When we walk without the cross, when we build without the cross, when we proclaim Christ without the cross, we are not disciples of the Lord. We are worldly. We may be bishops and priests and cardinals and popes, all of this, but we are not disciples of the Lord. This man knows Jesus, by the way. Discipleship is rooted in the cross and is founded upon his lordship that sits over our lives. So, let me move quickly because there are three or four things that I want to share and then there's just going to be a commitment from us here this morning. The purpose of discipleship is this. Number one, why does God institute this discipleship process? Well, because he wants to bring us to the point, I've already alluded to it, where we have an attitude of surrender and sacrifice. Where we recognize that he is the Lord of our lives. That's the first thing. Surrender and sacrifice. Things that we don't like. Because let's be honest now, the church, uh, the, 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 the world lives, I've already alluded to it, that It's all about us. It's all about what you want. It's all about what I want. What makes me feel nice and good. 
And let me tell you, God does want you to feel nice and good. Don't be put off by that. He really does. He wants to bless you. But it's not always about what's right and good. Because actually there's hardship that we have to face. Because the Bible talks about out of that hardship and out of that pressure, out of that, you know, the challenges that we face, God begins to do a deep work in our lives. And we become changed for the better. For the better. And it often comes through surrender and sacrifice. So a lot of people who say, no, I'm surrendering to nobody. So they don't want to live accountably. They don't want to be, I'm, I'm accountable to God. Well, that's true. But let me draw it back to me now. I'm accountable to God, but I'm also accountable to my wife. I'm also accountable to, in my particular position, to a group of elders. Yeah? Let's go further. I think as a Christian community, I think we're accountable to one another. So what's all this nonsense that I'm just accountable to God? I think that's an attitude of rebellion. Because actually we're called to be surrendered and accountable and submitted to one another. Jesus in the garden before crucifixion, what did he say? Not my will, but your will. That wasn't an attitude of I'm going to do it my way. That wasn't, that wasn't Jesus saying to the Father, no, I, I'm, I'm calling this shot. No, not my will, but your will. There's a great man in the New Testament. He was actually Jesus' cousin by the name of John the Baptist. He was called that because he was forever taking people to baptizing them. And he had a great revival that was happening and people wanted to set him up as the Messiah. And he went, no, 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 I'm, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the chosen one. I'm not fit to tie his sandals. In fact, I must decrease so that he needs to increase. This talks about submission and surrendered and sacrifice and laying down our lives for Jesus. William Booth said this, the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. People who are disciples of Jesus, true disciples of Jesus, I've noted on my journey over these last 25, 28 years of really seeking to follow the Lord, they're marked by humility. They're marked by a kindness not a weakness, a kindness, a contentment, and a joy found nowhere else. I had a conversation this week with a gentleman who's on a journey down at the community hub. And he said, you know what's keeping me on the straight and narrow? Arena. And then he went, it was like he'd been watching The Office. Arena, 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 like they did with, um, yeah, Pete and... uh, yeah, an arena, yeah, in football. I understand what he was saying, because that's how he articulated it. But what he was really saying was, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Because he's seeing staff down at the hub who were marked by many of these qualities, humility, kindness, joy, and contentment. And these things are so attractive to the world. They really are. And this is what God's called us to. Secondly, I think the purpose of discipleship, why it was instituted, is it's because it's a place where we're shaped to become more like Jesus. I've already mentioned that. Well, how are we shaped by Jesus? 
quickly. We shaped, first of all, through other people. That's why it says, go and make disciples. You see, it isn't just about Jesus making disciples. It's about we're part of that process of making disciples. That's why there's the power, Paul, of small groups. The power of small groups. And I'm so glad that we're going to be releasing a number of other small groups in the next few weeks. And that's going to continue to grow and multiply by God's grace. You see, we need to be in connection with one another. We really do. It's about a relational depth that needs to happen because we're shaped by other people. Let me give you a very simple example of that. That It really is very, very simple. I'm rolling the clock by about 15 years. I was consistently and continually late. So it was, it was only just a few minutes, but I was consistently and continually late. And particularly for an appointment that I was having, and uh, I was going to see my boss. So I was continually late. Just a few moments. They let it slide for a few weeks, and then... The person said to me, I need to just say something to Christian. You are continually late, and this shows bad character in you. Woo! Well, you can imagine I'm a little bit stirring inside. But I left it because he's my boss. And I thought, you know what? I let it reflect. I didn't need to pray. It was absolutely right. You see... The need to be shaped is not just in the, in the higher things. Oh, we know more about the Bible and know more about spiritual things so we can, how to pray for people. God is wanting to shape us, even in the small areas of our lives. And it was an issue for me. I was consistently and continually late. I wonder what your challenge is. What are what the small things around your world? Because it's not just God who speaks to us. It's actually God uses people to change us and to shape us. The other thing that God uses to shape us and, and change us are circumstances. I always find it the worst part of my job. It's not a job. I love what I do here. But you understand the phrase. When you have to sit with people who have just lost a loved one, people who are enduring cancer, people who have felt the loss of a marriage breakdown, people who have felt abandoned, people who are in pain. But what I've noticed for those people who are committed to the discipleship journey, they become better over time. Because Jesus uses circumstances. He doesn't bring them, but he uses circumstances to shape our lives. So we become more like him. If you're going through a difficult challenge and difficult time today, you've heard me say, there's times when I'll sit with you and cry with you and pray for you and uphold you the best that I can. But what I'm also believing for is that God is going to shape you and you are going to become more like Jesus. Discipleship is the purpose of it, is that we become more like Jesus. Let me just say, the goal for, for us as a community is to become more like Jesus, because people like Jesus transform the world at every level. I'll say that again. The goal for us as a community is for, is for us to become more like Jesus, because people like Jesus transform the world at every level. Number three, and then we're drawing it to a close. The third thing I would say is this. That the purpose of discipleship is that we'll shine bright and we'll bring light to many. You see, disciples changed the world. They did, didn't they? How can for, for, for so few turn the world upside down? And yet they did. And it was amazing. And it's not dissimilar to the century that we're in now. The first century was very similar to what we have now. You know, turmoil, economic crisis, 
immorality. It was all there. Read it. Look at the history. It was, it was, it was a difficult place. And yet this group of number, no, number, men and women, turned the world upside down. You see, I honestly believe with all my heart, the disciples changed the world. And we are called to be salt and light. That is why we have as our strap line to go and grow and to love and serve our community. We want to love and serve people. And we do that out of, as, as we are disciples. We bring Jesus into the world. There are some people who will reject us. There are some people who will dislike the fact that we're there. But there are some people who will embrace it and love the fact that we're there. Anybody know what you're talking about in your, work, in your workplace? Some people who love you. Some people who hate you. It's about bringing Jesus in. And this is what he says in, Mark, in Matthew 5 and verse 14 to 16. We, we launched this during January about the, the whole thought of standing out and shining. You are the light of the world. This is Jesus talking about us. You are the light of the world. Not just Jesus, you are the light of the world. Now, I've given you the light to shine. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We could spend now the next half an hour, which I'm not going to do, talking about the different stories because of as a, a result of getting involved in people's lives within this community. There are so many stories to be had. There are so many stories, not just in the hub, but in the charity shops. Not just in the charity shops, but through the business. Of people, not just through the business, but through the church. And not just through the church, but through you living your everyday lives. And people are saying... There's a difference. It's like, I feel happy. Again, somebody said to me this week, I feel happy when, when I'm around this place. I feel happy. Something, all the anger, all the bitterness that I feel, it just, it's almost like it's been washed away from me. What is that? That's Jesus. And it's about being a disciple. So what does this mean to us very quickly? What does this mean to us as a church? And fortunately, we're going to have to finish there. I could say so much more. But there's the call to surrender. There's a call to live for God. There's a call to embrace him as Savior, but also live under the Lordship of Jesus. But what does this mean for us who call Arena Church home? Five things. Number one, we will commit, and you can these, to the ongoing development of our spiritual journey to become more like Jesus. To become more like Jesus. Let me say Discipleship is not a program. I've realized that more and more. It can't be. It can't be a program. It's not a, I know we say about first steps classes and next classes. And we understand just terminology. But this is just, it it's goes way deeper than that. This is not a program. This is not a schedule. This is about God doing something in our hearts. And as we get connected with others, God doing something deep in our hearts. We become changed, and then we help others, and they become changed. That is what we're talking about. So we will commit to an ongoing development. Number two, we will continually be open to God's Word and other godly people speaking into our lives whilst maintaining a spirit at all times. I'm not the most teachable person in the world in the natural. You've heard me say before, I know there's a number of you out there, and don't all look at me blank. Some of us are know-it-alls. We think we know everything about everything. And we don't. 
And some people have a bias towards that. Some people are a little bit more timid. Well, I'm more on that side. I didn't like being told off. I didn't like being told anything. And that could be a detriment to me in my Christian journey. Because God wants me to have, and I need to have a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit. A soft spirit that God can just mold and, and, and fashion. And that happens through God's word and other people. Number three. We will seek God first at all times. That's a big one. Have I sought God first at all times? First this, throughout this week? I'd love to say that I have, but I'm sure that I haven't. I'm sure there's been times when I've been seeking Christian first. But God wants to get us on the journey. Remember, discipleship is not automatic. It's a process. God's working in me because he wants to be first in everything. Number four, we will face the challenge of dying to ourselves and our needs. And so we'll live for God. And number five, we will fulfill this last command to us by going into all the world to make disciples. We will not play safe or settle. I haven't really labored on that, but I just want to remind us again, the commission to each and every one of us was not to stay in the world, was not to stay in the church, but it was to go and make disciples. And again, that is not a program. That is from this house, you, wherever you are, go in with the gospel, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play, whatever you do, and bring life and bring Jesus. And then come back and get fueled. And then bring life and bring Jesus. Come back and get filled. Go life and bring Jesus. This is what God is wanting to do. And some of you are going to be sent to other parts of the world. Some of you are going to go. You might only just for a few weeks, if I can say this, Kev's just working through the whole thing with regard to Philippines and he and Hannah are going to get married next year and we're really excited about that, aren't we, as a church? This man just is just processing, just working things through. I mean, I'd say I've already done it, you know, but just processing through what does it look like for, you know, with Philippines and just feeling a burden for something and Hannah's cool with all that. Who knows if we're going to release them to another part of the world, an arena church, Philippines. He says there's amazing beaches. Anybody up for it? That's why he's going, he said. The sun always shines. From this community we're leaving, there's going to be people that are going to go. People that are going to go. So that's what it means to us. This is a behavior of ours. This is how we want to live our lives. It's something that I want to commit my life to, to be a disciple, to not just be a leader, to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. The journey of saying, God, we don't just want you as Savior, we want you as Lord. I wonder if we'd just bow our heads for a moment. You come to me.